know, as you guys agree with me, this uh, it makes this prayer much more powerful. So, anyway, fathers, we come together in agreement. Everybody's uh, with me in this. So we pray tonight over the word of the Lord. And um, if you could maybe bring my mic down just just a little bit. But, Lord, we pray tonight over the word of God, and we thank you for, uh, you know, that we have the word. Man, where would we be without the word of God? And we love your word, Lord. Thank you for it. But as I speak this tonight, as you come upon me and speak through me, that the word of the Lord go out, as Jesus talked about the parable of the seed and sowers, go out as living seeds of truth that are sown in the good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, families, ministries. And, Lord, that this seeds of truth that's sown out there into people's lives, Lord, that this will be watered by your Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And, Lord, let there be a washing of the water of the word of God in people's lives, a deep cleansing. Lord, let this word of the Lord go out as a shining light of truth and dispel all the darkness and lies and deception, pet doctrines, traditions of men, things that are, that are not God. You know, just shine and dispel all that darkness and bring truth and revelation, Lord. Let your word be a mighty hammer that breaks down every stronghold. Let it be a sword that cuts away what needs to go and penetrates into the darkest places and the deepest places. And Lord, I pray that this world will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. It's not going to return void. And that you would confirm your word. And we thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. And Lord, that you come upon me tonight and speak through me everything that you want spoken. Help me, Lord, that it just be a flow with you tonight. And that this will really impact. And, and people will have retention to remember this because it's important. And it will change many lives. And we thank you, Lord, for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm dealing with the series on covenant. In the first uh, sermon, I dealt with the covenant meal. Remember, we talked about what Jesus paid for at Calvary. He paid for our salvation and forgiveness of sins, but he also paid for healing and deliverance, all that's in the atonement. So I dealt with that. And last week, I dealt with the spiritual warfare aspect of how we pray and believe God and things get set in motion but the enemy tries to resist. And I'm telling you, the enemy will try, if he can, to get people in doubt, fear, and unbelief, and to be discouraged and to give up. So in this sermon, I want to deal with the Holy Spirit, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys love and appreciate the Holy Spirit? Man. And so, let me go ahead and read this. And some of you guys that feel like one day you might teach... You may want to hang on to this because this has got a lot of different reference material to go back to and use later on. So in Ephesians 1.13, it says in him, talking about Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, now look at this, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed in Christ by the Holy Spirit of promise. See, those that are truly Christ, that have really, truly accepted him, and you've been born again, it's just like, you know, if somebody, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this now in this generation, but there was a time that people would, they would can and, and you know, jar different types of fruits and preserves and all that. And they had to, once they got them in, they had to really seal that thing tight so it would stay and, and, and it wouldn't spoil. And the Holy Spirit has been sent into our lives to really seal us in Christ. You see what I'm saying? And he's here to keep us in Christ. And Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit is God's seal in our lives as we're his children. Isn't that awesome? And so the Holy Spirit, Jesus said the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit... He is a gift to us. And it's as though back in the Old Testament time, that was the ministry, if you will, of God the Father as he betrothed himself to the nation of Israel. And Jesus came in the fullness of time. And as he walked the earth in sandals, you know, and, and lived among us, that that was the ministry of the Son. And he accomplished what he was sent here to do. And as he raised from the dead, he said, it's, it's better for you that I go away. And I'm sure, as I've said before, everybody listening that was thinking, I really don't think it's best that you go away, Jesus. You know? 
But Jesus says, it's best for you that I go away because I'm going to send the promise of the Father, the Comforter. And when he comes and he begins to talk about he'll lead you in all truth and teach you things that I've, I've shown you before, all of that, lead you and, and guide you and comfort you. And, and so when Jesus ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was poured out, we know, on the day of Pentecost. And so let me just kind of go through my notes here. I believe that River of Life has got some incredible things in front of us. God's had to sift and, and clean house and deal with things. And, um, but if you go on with God with all your heart, God will see you through the difficulties. And everything has, of course, made River of Life stronger. And there's been a real refining and, and you know, uh, people that had a wrong spirit about them, God moved on. But anyway, God is unified. There's a group here that is humbling themselves and consecrating our lives and really praying and really going after God with all of our heart. And God is wanting to deal in this year to come with strongholds in people of unbelief and strongholds of doubt, strongholds of fear. And God is wanting to break through so that people can really press into what he's promised them. Because we live in a world, in a society that is so ingratiated with with the ways of the world that that's in the church and in many christians and so many christians have not been taught to live by faith they've been taught to live the same exact way the world does exactly there's no difference and so because of that that we don't see a lot of the power of god displayed like we could and we should amen so the holy spirit of god let me dive into this romans 8 11 but if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So many times we wonder, well, how does the healing take place? You know, how does this manifest what happens? Well, it's by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit living in us is the one who gives life to our bodies and health and strength. And the awesome presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Whenever we pray for people, we lay hands on people. We, as the Bible says, anoint with oil, the prayer of faith, things like that. It is the Holy Spirit who moves and brings healing. And the Holy Spirit is the one also who will help drive out the enemy. And so anyway, the Holy Spirit gives us supernatural health. And we have to learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. It's like last week I was talking about, you know, as we pray about things, whatever it is. It, it could be any number of things. When we pray about it, God hears us and things begin to move that direction. But we have to discern by the Holy Spirit, is there a hindrance? Is there a, a, like a resisting or some kind of a restraining force where the enemy is trying to hinder this from coming to pass? You need to discern that so that you can pray that direction and drive out the hindrances. But we have to learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He brings the power of God. He brings the glory of the Lord into our midst so the power of god is a greek word dunamis and it's we where we get the word dynamite from and the dunamis power of god has been described almost like electricity or an explosion of power that has broke forth and i've seen the the power of god so many times and it, it's just like an explosion when you pray for somebody and i've seen many times but uh, I, one, one of them that's really special to me because it was just a child, but it really wasn't all that long ago. There's a little boy that came that visited with his family, but he was just shaking under the power of God. And he was really young. I, mean, I would say probably maybe six years old. But to see him hit by the power on the ground, just shaking under the power of God, it was so awesome. And the Holy Spirit does a deep work in us. That's the power of God, the dunamis, okay? Then the glory of the Lord, the glory is God's manifest presence, his weighty presence. And this is where you feel in this place like an abiding presence. There's a peace. Um, when we pray many times, you'll feel like a, a weightiness. You'll feel heaviness. And it's interesting because in the Hebrew, the word for glory, they say Shekinah or the Shekinah. That, that is like the abiding presence. And we saw that in the scriptures with the cloud and the fire at the tabernacle. That's like an abiding presence. But there's also a word Kavod. And this is the word that has to do with the weightiness of God. And in the glory, many times, I and many of you 
have felt like a heavy presence, a heaviness because the glory of the Lord, the weightiness of his presence to come. And in the glory of God also many times people have felt like a warmth or a heat whenever the healing power of God comes or like a fire of the Holy Spirit comes. So this is the manifestation of God's power and his glory. These are two different things, the power of God and the glory of God. But these, obviously, these come through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we know from the scripture that as true Christians, the Holy Spirit is in us when we accept him as our savior. And let me just talk briefly about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go through these notes, but the Holy Spirit is a person. Just exactly like God the Father and God the Son, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a thing. He's not an it. He's a person. And until people really get that, because a lot of people out there have not been taught about the Holy Spirit, and they view him as just like some thing, some mysterious thing. He's not a thing. He's God. And he is the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, when we accept Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, and we become the temple or the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. He comes to live in your inner spirit, man. And if somebody's really, truly born of God and it's real, um, they will no longer be able to feel comfortable living a life of sin. Because the Holy Spirit will convict you and make you miserable until you change, because he loves you. And so the Holy Spirit, when he comes to live in you, he begins to lead you into righteousness, just exactly like Jesus said he would. He'll teach you the Bible. You begin to understand things you didn't before. You feel comfortable with certain things and you don't with others because he's teaching you right from wrong. He's, he's teaching you to discern good from evil. And we know the Holy Spirit is with us to guide us and tell us when we pray, do this, don't do that. But the Holy Spirit also, this has to do with the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit will also clothe us with power. And man, we need that. And the clothing of power, that is, you know, whether you want to call this, it's true, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to read this, but it's an anointing, it's 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 an endowment, it's where God gives you some kind of a, such an empowerment to do what Jesus did in the earth. That now we can lay hands on the sick. Now we drive out demons. And and we're doing the things Jesus did when he was here. But it's by the the authority and the clothing of power that comes when the Spirit of God comes upon us. Okay? So the Holy Spirit is in us as a true Christian. And he'll convict us and teach us right and wrong. But he's also with us. That when you pray... And you spend time with God here at church. You know, you feel the presence of God comes in. in. This is the Holy Spirit with us. But he's also will come upon us in power. So let me talk about something that few people do. Because I'm talking about covenant. And God gave us, Jesus gave us a covenant meal. In which we, we... Remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's our covenant meal. And also, we know last week I talked about how we pray and we believe God. And it's our covenant right. He hears and answers our prayers as as his children. But part of our covenant with God is that he has given us the Holy Spirit as a seal to keep us until that day. Did you know why? that we're able to be kept like we are is the grace of the Holy Spirit being in us and with us. And that's why it's so important to walk in humility because God says, I give grace to the humble. There was a man, a preacher one time that stood up at a a pastor's conference and there, there had been another pastor that had fallen into sin. And he stood up there, you know, in front of everybody and said, you know, bless God, I would never cheat on my wife like that. I'll never do that. And it, it was an arrogant thing. And it was not a year later that they were back at that, the pastor's conference the next year that he had fallen into sin. You better be careful to walk humbly before God. But here's the thing. God gives grace to the humble. When we walk humbly before the Lord, the Holy Spirit will sustain us. I'm not worried about the devil deceiving me. Because I have total confidence and faith that the Holy Spirit will keep me. I'm not worried about falling into sin because I believe the Holy Spirit will keep me. 
as long as I stay humble. The Holy Spirit is in me and with me to empower me and sustain me. And, you know, all of us as Christians, some of us have faced a religious spirit early on, and, man, it was horrible, you know. But all of us as Christians, when you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in you. Okay, let me put it this way. So back in the days of the Azusa Street Revival, this is really interesting. William Seymour and other, other early Pentecostals would teach a doctrine, which I believe is very true. But this was relatively new to the body of Christ at that time. But some of you that's been around old-time Pentecost, a few of you will recognize this. But you would hear people praying, Lord, save them and sanctify them and fill them with your spirit. You guys remember that back in the day, some of y'all? And that's, that goes back to the Azusa Street Revival. That came from William Seymour. He taught that when somebody accepted Christ as their Savior, they're born again. But beyond that new birth, there had to be some kind of a sanctification that took place where God began to clean you up. And that's true. You know, whether it's an addiction, whether no matter what it is, all of us have had things in our past that try to carry on into our Christian walk. And we had struggles, you know, early on in our Christian walk. I did too. But the Holy Spirit begins to do a sanctifying work in us he the the lord through his spirit begins to heal the broken places he begins to deliver people from the power that sin had over them and begin to really deeply consecrate them unto god and that's a sanctifying work of the spirit of god and then when they said saved sanctified filled with the spirit they were talking about the baptism of the holy spirit that now you would be empowered to go out and do something for God. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who will give us the grace to be overcomers. So let me read to you one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen, The grace of the Lord Jesus. As long as we're humble, Jesus will give us grace. And the love of God. How many knows the love of the Father has shed abroad in our hearts? His love for us. Amen. And look at this, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I love the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. See, what we got to understand is right now, where is God the Father? In heaven, on his throne. Right now, as I'm preaching, where is God the Son? He's at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us, but he's not physically present here right now on the earth. So who in the Godhead is in us and with us? Who is in this place tonight? Who is it that's touching you when we pray in the altars? The Holy Spirit. And so Jesus said it's expedient. It's better that I go away that I can send the comforter. I'll send the Holy Spirit. And he will lead you into truth. He'll remind you of things I've taught you. He'll even show you things to come. And he'll be your comforter. And it's important that we understand the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Because God, through His Spirit, is wanting to commune with us and fellowship with us. So it's by, when you pray, the presence of God that you feel is the Holy Spirit. He's the one that makes Jesus real to you. And reveals Jesus to you and glorifies Jesus to you. He's the one that helps you understand the love of the Father and understand that you are God's child and loved and accepted by Him. It's the Spirit of God. And so when you get to know the Holy Spirit, and see, once you start fellowshipping the Holy Spirit and you get to know Him, and you know His presence, you know His voice, you know His leading, you know the glory of His presence, you know His power, and you get familiar with Him, you're not going to have to worry about being deceived because when another spirit shows up, you recognize right off, that's not him. But it comes from spending time with the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul here was trying to tell us that there is a fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And the early church understood this because when it came down to a time in Acts chapter 15, the early church was really dealing with something that was quite serious. God had begun to to move. First off, for 13 years, the early church was only Jewish, period. And so now Peter, the Holy Spirit, 
speaks to Peter and says, I want you to go with the man that's coming. A man comes and takes him to the house of Cornelius. Peter starts talking about Jesus. The Holy Spirit falls on this entire group of people the same way he did on the day of Pentecost. And Peter and the other Jews with him, I can just see their mouths hung open thinking, dear God, God's moving on them just like he does us, you know. And God was now trying to force that this would not just be a Jewish thing. This was going to be, the Gentiles are going to be engrafted in the same. And there was not going to be any type of a um, racism or some kind of, uh, you know, one's better than the other type of thing. It was both going to be one Jew and Gentile in Christ. Well, this was a total foreign concept to these people. And in Acts chapter 15, the apostle Paul had been sent to the Gentiles and got that revelation, was seeing great revival planting churches and seeing great success and comes back and he's telling them all about it and they don't know what to do with this because they're realizing that God is not requiring the Gentiles to be circumcised to go to heaven he's not requiring them to convert to Judaism and so they're thinking man this is such a new concept what do we do and so the Bible says that they prayed about it and this is in your Bible y'all look it up it says this it said, whenever they made a decision, they said it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit that we require nothing other than these things for these churches, these Gentile churches. But they inquired of the Holy Spirit. They knew him. They knew his voice. And one of the greatest joys is to get to know the Holy Spirit and to know his fellowship. In 1 Corinthians 2.10, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? In other words, I can't read your mind. You can't read my mind. But now we have received the, let me, I'm sorry, let me skip back here. Even so, the spirit who is from God, I lost my place, I'm sorry guys, let me start over here. For, for to us, God has revealed them through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. So the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in things taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised or spiritually discerned in some translations. So, we see that the Holy Spirit reveals the mysteries and the deep things of God. See, these things seem foolish to the world and to carnal Christians, worldly Christians. They don't understand the deep things of God yet. But if they'll really pursue the Lord, then they will. But the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the word in Greek for fellowship here is koinonia, which many people are familiar with that Greek word. But koinonia means this. So this is what Paul was saying. May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you. Here's what that word means. It means his presence, his fellowship, sharing together, participating with, intimacy, friendship, and comradeship. Comradeship has to do with spiritual warfare. So the Apostle Paul is trying to say that there needs to be a deep fellowship in your life with the Spirit of God. Because pretty soon you begin to experience his presence, his fellowship. You're sharing together. He's showing you things you didn't know before. Participating with what he's doing. Intimacy with God. Friendship and comradeship. We know from the scripture that the Holy Spirit will instruct us. In Nehemiah 9.20. We know that he will teach us. Psalm 32.8. We know that he leads us into all truth. John 16, 13. And we know that he anoints us in Luke 4, 18, Acts 10, 38. So we know that the Holy Spirit will empower us. But see, let me, let me warn people. Now, one of the ways Satan attacks 
is by sending spirits that will pretend to be the Holy Spirit. And somebody that's younger in the Lord that doesn't know the difference will many times believe that that is the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm telling you that you need to get to know the real Holy Spirit. Because there's spirits that pretend to be the Holy Spirit like a spirit of religion. And a spirit of religion, when it starts working in somebody's life, will beat them to pieces. Will make them feel like a piece of garbage they can never mount up. Everything becomes very legalistic and fearful. And they, they just get tormented by this thing. And the whole time they think this is God doing it to them. Or a python spirit, which works many times with like Jezebels and people like that. It's a counterfeit revelation. Especially very negative about the male authority figure. And they think that that's God. It's not. It's a demon. So be aware that you need to get to know the Holy Spirit. You know, bankers are taught that instead of focusing on the counterfeit, what they teach them to become bankers is is they go in there and they're going to be a cashier and they're going to work with money all the time. They try to get them very familiar with the real. The more they use the real currency over and over and handle it, there's a smell to it, there's a feel, and they keep on and on day after day, then pretty soon when a counterfeit comes, they're more apt to recognize that counterfeit. And so God is wanting us to become so familiar with His Spirit and His Holy Spirit's presence and revelation and His power that whenever something counterfeit shows up, we know that it's not the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us to test the spirits. So let me give you some things about the Holy Spirit. Number one, He is God, Acts 5, 3 through 5. And being God, he's omniscient. That means he knows everything. 1 Corinthians 2. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. Psalm 139.7. He's omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. Luke 1.35. And he is eternal. Hebrews 9.14. And the Holy Spirit being God, he's also a person. We see the Holy Spirit has intellect. In Romans 8, 27, he has emotions. He can be grieved. Ephesians 4, 30. He has a will. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. As God, he is called, the Holy Spirit is called these names in the Bible. He's called, called the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 through 8. He's called the Spirit of God. Ephesians 4, 30. He's called the Spirit of Christ. Acts 2, 33. Jesus called him the comforter or the counselor in John 15, 26. And he's referred to as the spirit of Elijah. And you get that from Malachi um, 4, 5. And I love this, the reference to the Holy Spirit being the spirit of Elijah. And the reason why I like that is because the spirit of Elijah has to do with revival. See, there's a scripture in, in Revelation here. I put it here, Revelation 1, 4, where it says the seven spirits of God. But there's not seven different Holy Spirits. You see what I'm saying? There's one Spirit. But when John, the the word seven has to do more with perfection than anything else. But some people say completion. Complete perfection would be the right way of saying it. But anyway, the Holy Spirit, when he comes in his fullness, he'll come like in Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. He will come as the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, revelation, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. That's the sevenfold manifestation. So picture a lampstand. And when the lampstand, when the Holy Spirit comes in all seven manifestations, he comes in his fullness. He's coming as the spirit of Elijah. And when he comes as the spirit of Elijah, he will begin to turn the hearts of fathers to children, children to fathers. He'll begin to heal the land. He will begin to expose and drive out Jezebels and things that are not right. He'll begin to clean house. Things that were under the surface all of a sudden will come up to be dealt with because when the Holy Spirit comes as the spirit of Elijah, he's coming as an all-consuming fire. And just like Paul, whenever he was on the island of Malta, they had built a fire and Paul began to, to put some fire in or put, you know, trying to stoke the fire. And this snake that was in there leapt out and bit him. And that's the thing. When the Holy Spirit comes in an all-consuming fire as the spirit of Elijah, all the hidden snakes that people didn't know were there will start being dealt with. Well, that deserved an amen right there. God will begin to clean house. 
And the spirit of Elijah, when he comes, he's coming to prepare for a great revival. He's preparing for the coming of the Lord, just like John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. But he came to prepare for Jesus to come after him. So the God, the Holy Spirit, as the spirit of Elijah, has been brooding over and working on River of Life for some time. He's been preparing because the Lord's about to come in a revival in this ministry. All right. So this week, I've got some more to go here, but I just wanted to give you this. If you want to study on your own a little bit about the Holy Spirit, a personal study, I recommend reading John 14 through 16, Romans chapter 8, 1 Corinthians 2, and Acts chapter 2. And you can do a personal study on the Holy Spirit this week. But you remember when Jesus was baptized by John? Jesus goes out to the River Jordan and... I can't get into this because it would be a huge rabbit trail, but this had to do with the passing of the priesthood. Jesus was not in sin and did not need to be cleansed of sin. What was going on to fulfill all righteousness there was John the Baptist was a direct descendant of Aaron, and really he should have been the high priest of Israel, but because Rome and because of political correctness, it was Caiaphas. Anyway, John was out there, and when John immersed Jesus, there was a passing of that office of the priesthood. But here's what I'm trying to get at. When John baptized Jesus, there was a voice that came out of the heavens that said, this is my son in whom I well please. Remember that? And that was the father speaking. And it was interesting because some people heard that. The Bible said that other people only heard what they thought might have been thunder. How many knows anytime God speaks, there are those that have ears to hear and those that don't? anyway god the father spoke and here's god the son god in the flesh and the bible says that the holy spirit came down and john the baptist saw him and god had revealed to john on whom you see the spirit come so he was looking for the messiah to come and he knew that when he saw the holy spirit come on him that he would be the one And when he baptized Jesus and he came up, he saw the Holy Spirit coming down and descending. Now, personally, my personal opinion is the Holy Spirit was not coming down as a bird. I think the way to read that is the Holy Spirit came down gently and settled upon Jesus gently like a dove would. I believe personally that's the way it happened. But anyway, the Holy Spirit comes down and wraps Jesus. So picture if I had a prayer shawl. And I could throw that up in the air and let that gently settle down upon you and wrap you. I believe that's more along the lines of what John saw. But he saw the Holy Spirit coming on Jesus. And he knew that this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This is the Messiah. He must now increase. I must decrease. But Jesus did not begin his ministry until he was clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus went out and faced the devil in the wilderness. But when he comes back, the Bible says about him, he came back in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he goes into the synagogue of his hometown and reads the scroll of Isaiah where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up and heal the brokenhearted, you know, to bring recovery of sight to the blind, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, to deliver the captives, all the things that were in that passage. And it was now that Jesus was coming in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went around doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil. But Jesus did not begin his ministry to his clove of power. So let me show you something. Matthew 3.11, when John was prophesying about Jesus, he said, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who's coming after me is mightier than I. I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In Luke 24, 49, now Jesus, now this is what was the prophetic about Jesus, that he was going to baptize them in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, just as he was clothed with power, and then he began his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit, he was telling his disciples before he left, he said, now guys, listen, you've been with me all this time. But I want you to go wait in Jerusalem until your clove of power. In other words, he was saying, don't try to start things until the Spirit of God comes upon you. 
if I can paraphrase it that way. But let me show it to you. Luke 24, 49, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city of Jerusalem, okay, until you are clothed with power from on high. I want you to notice the word upon you, clothed with power. So the, the disciples, they could not become born again until after Jesus died on the cross, right? We all understand that. So they were following around Jesus all these, all these years, these three years, and they saw him move in great power. You know as well as I do, they felt the power of God. They felt the glory of God. They were around that. There was no doubt. But they themselves did not have the Holy Spirit indwelling them yet. And when Jesus died on the cross and raised from the dead and he appeared to them, the Bible says in John, you can look this up, the Bible says that Jesus, when he saw them, they obviously saw that he was raised from the dead. They obviously believed in him. I mean, how can you not believe at this point? Okay, they believed. But Jesus blew on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I believe at that point in time that the disciples were born again, that the Holy Spirit came to indwell them. Y'all follow me? But Jesus still told them when he was leaving, he said, but you wait in Jerusalem though until you're clothed with power from on high. And he, he said that again, he reiterated this to them at Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's not talking about just the Holy Spirit indwelling you, but there had to be a clothing of power. And he said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Now, how many of you guys know that not all harvest fields are ripe at the same time? And this was amazing. Jesus was, this is prophetic, and a lot of people never have thought of it that way. They started in Jerusalem. Read the book of Acts about how many Levites and how many priests and how many common people started getting saved. The first harvest field was in Jerusalem. Then it moved out to Judea. Then the next harvest field was in Samaria. You remember when Philip went to Samaria? And then Peter and John came later. And then the apostle Paul to the uttermost. Paul took it to the gentiles so jesus was prophesying here that the harvest field would be ripe in that order and it was but he was telling them you cannot do this on your own human effort human intellect human reasoning is not going to get the job done you're going to need the power of my spirit and that's why on the day of pentecost when peter got up and preached Peter was filled with the Spirit of God. And read it, Acts chapter 2. It says Peter stood up full of the Holy Ghost. And when he spoke, there was such an anointing that the people there, it said that they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. And they said, brothers, what must we do? But it took that. It took the power of the Holy Spirit to penetrate. Because you're never truly going to win a convert by debating with them and arguing with them into heaven. The way you're going to see somebody truly come to know Jesus is the Holy Spirit will convict and touch their hearts. And there's three baptisms in the scriptures. We know that number one, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says that we have all been baptized by one spirit into the Lord. And the Holy Spirit, when you come to accept Christ as your Savior, it is because the Holy Spirit drew you. How many knows you didn't just come up with the idea on your own? Seriously, we need to really thank God and thank the Holy Spirit because we didn't just save ourselves. Hello. The Spirit of God drew us. The Spirit of God convicted us. The Spirit of God revealed to us a need for a Savior. That's why in these great revivals throughout all history that I've told you guys probably at least a hundred stories about is the Spirit of God coming down in power on a region, on a city. And people that were the most rank heathen were gripped with the fear of God and realized I'm on my way to hell. I need a Savior. And they would come running to the Lord. 
It was the Spirit of God. But the Holy Spirit, when people truly accept Christ as their Savior, it's the Holy Spirit who is baptizing them into the body of Christ, into the Lord Jesus Christ. The second baptism is water baptism. And I believe this is directly connected to what William Seymour was talking about, about sanctification. That we're baptized in water, which is not just a one-time thing. We all know that. But there's a baptism in water, but there's a deep consecration that God begins to do in your life. God begins to clean you up. There's a sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 10, it says the children of Israel went through the Red Sea. They were baptized into Moses. And it's a picture and type of what we have in Christ. And I've said this many times. But that same water that baptized Israel closed behind them and separated them from their past. It destroyed the enemy that was chasing them. And when God begins to sanctify you unto himself, and consecrate your life. He is separating you from your, from your past. And he is destroying your pursuing enemies. And then the third baptism was Matthew 3.11. John said, he will come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, is a clothing of power. Man, I love the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I personally believe a couple things here. Number one, I do not believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is just a one-time experience. Um, you read through the Bible, people were filled. They were filled with the Spirit and spoke boldly the Word of God. And Catherine Kuhlman said that every time before a powerful crusade, the Holy Spirit, she'd be baptized in the Holy Spirit and filled with the Spirit fresh for that crusade. So I believe this is an ongoing thing in our lives that the Spirit of God, we will continually be filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit the rest of our lives that's just my opinion but it's interesting because when you look at the garments that the priest wore in the old testament you see a perfect example there was a layer of white this is when you accept christ as your savior but there was a layer of blue some of you can see it there but those that can't you can google this aaron's priestly garments there was a blue tunic this blue tunic represents blue is coming down from heaven it's a clothing from on high. Y'all follow me? There was a reinforced neck area where when the, if somebody got really grieved or upset in that culture, they would rip their garments. They couldn't rip this. At least they weren't supposed to. Because we're not supposed to grieve the Holy Spirit. And around the bottom of this blue tunic was bells and pomegranates representing the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit, when you get baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, more of the fruit of the Spirit is going to begin to manifest in your life. And the gifts will begin to be in operation. Derek Prince said about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that is the introduction for a Christian into the supernatural realm of Christianity. Hello. When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, now you begin to see things you didn't before. You, there's a clothing of power that the gifts begin to be in operation. And people receive a prayer language. I mean, you, you can pray in tongues. This is an awesome thing. And I'm grieved because, you know, there, in this day and age when we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit more than ever, this may surprise some of you guys, but there are Pentecostal denominations that are well-known that are getting away from this. And they don't want to talk about it in their services. They think they're afraid it's going to offend somebody. They're afraid tongues will offend somebody. Listen, friend, I am not ashamed of the blood of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the cross. And I'm not ashamed of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, when he moves, it is so ridiculous now that people are so lifted up with so much pride and arrogance that they think, we don't need the Holy Spirit. We've got it all figured out now. We know how to do church. I beg to differ, friend. That's why your church services are dead. You do need the Holy Spirit. You need to think about what you're producing in your church. Are they on fire for God? Are they living righteously? Do they have the power of God in their life? No. Many times they're not. They're dead and dry, struggling in sin, and they're not winning souls, and they're not seeing the power of God. And it's because people are getting away from the Holy Spirit. It's really surprised me. Because I grew up, you know, around Pentecost, I mean, this was something that a lot of times they would be special altar calls there'd be special times for people to be baptized in the holy spirit and you would see this regularly but i've done made up my mind that we're going to go with god 
And we're going to make sure that people have the opportunity to get right with God. We're going to keep praying for the sick to be healed. We're going to keep destroying the works of the devil and driving things out of people's lives. And we're going to keep praying for people to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Amen? All right. The gifts of the Spirit, which leads me to this point. 1 Corinthians 12. There's nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, giftings are going to be at work. Now, there's a prayer language that you'll have. But when it's talking about the gift, the vocal gifts, you ready? The vocal gifts. The vocal gifts are tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. When it's talking about the vocal gift of tongues, it's not really a reference just to having a personal prayer life. But this is a corporate message in tongues. We need to have more of that. Y'all agree with me about Let's pray that God begin to release more. I grew up around, you know, they would be in a service. Somebody would, would have a message in tongues, and then there would be an interpretation. We need to be seeing more of that. Many times it's just me up here praying, and, and my prayer language will change, and God will give me a message in tongues, and I'll just interpret it. And I'm not even sure not everybody really even knows what's going on, per se. You say, oh, wow, pastor got a word from God, you know. Well, there's a message in tongues and an interpretation. But the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation. Tongues here, not just a prayer language, not just praying in the Spirit, but where you have an actual message for the body of Christ, where this comes forth, it has a beginning, it has an ending, and it requires an interpretation, a message in tongues. Another gift is interpretation. And this is just my opinion, but I'm not sure that interpretation is just tongues. There are some people that have a gift of interpretation that not only can they interpret tongues, but they also can interpret dreams. It's just my opinion. I think that this is a little bigger than just tongues. And another one is prophecy. Prophecy is inspired speech. It's not just predicting the future. It sure can do that. But true prophecy, if, if somebody is a real truly flowing in the prophetic, there's several things about this. Number one, People that are in sin and not right are going to start feeling uncomfortable. But also, the body of Christ will be so encouraged. They're built up because the Holy Spirit of God is revealing to them, you know, their destiny. Things that they need to hear. Yes, there may be a conviction of sin, but God is building them up. How many of you guys remember, you know, Brother Benny coming in? Brother Benny flows really strong with prophecy. And so, how do you feel after Brother Benny's come through? You feel encouraged. You feel like you're getting direction. The Holy Spirit will give you direction through the prophetic. And I love prophecy. The Bible says don't, you know, despise not prophesy. We need to be careful to not belittle prophecy and despise it. I love prophecy. It's welcomed here. And many times God's given me a prophetic word. All right. And then you have the revelation gifts. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. We need revelation. You know, I remember a word of wisdom. I've seen this happen sometimes. You don't know what to do. And somebody that has the gift of word of wisdom says, well, you know, maybe this will work. And it just fixes everything, right? And a word of knowledge. I love the word of knowledge. I've seen one that one times I saw the word of knowledge come forth. It was really powerful. And I remember it because my name is Scott. But this Brownsville Revival. Steve Hill was up there preaching. He was calling people to repent and come down. And in that atmosphere, man, you had to be one hardened sinner to not run down there because i mean it was hard to not feel like you need to get right with god i can't even explain it to you just trust me words does not describe it there was such a suction to get right with god anyway but steve as he's doing this there'd be people running down to get saved but there was sometimes there's people out there that were resisting the holy ghost well one night he's up there and he says this word of knowledge and you'll see why i remember it he said, there's a military man in this building. Your name is Scott. And he says, you're tired of people telling you what to do. But the Holy Ghost says, you better get down here now and get things right with God. There was a military man named Scott there that night that ran down there and got saved after that word of knowledge. Words of knowledge also. You'll see people flowing words of knowledge and they'll say there's somebody that has a, a broken hip or somebody that has this health problem. God's healing that right now. Words and knowledge work well with healing as well. Discerning of spirits. Man, we need this gift. This is neglected in the body. And because of it, there's a lot of problems. But somebody that has the gift of discerning of spirits, they will know when something is of God and when it's not. They will know if there's a spirit at work or not. 
They can discern. God reveals that to them and shows them. And this, this gifting is really important, especially in these latter days, because we need people that have discernment to know if something's of God or it's not. And there's people that are specifically called by God to really have a strong deliverance ministry. And usually those people, if it really is a legitimate call from God, they will have a very strong gift of discerning of spirits because God gives them that so they can help people get delivered of things. And then you have the, the power gifts, faith, healing, and the working of miracles. The gift of faith, man, when that comes, you have no doubt at all when you pray for somebody. There's just total faith. It's supernatural faith. It's not something you can come up with. And the gift of healing. Somebody has the gift of healing. When they pray for the sick, there's going to be a lot more people healed through them than maybe the next guy that doesn't have that gift. It's just a gift of healing. I mean, you pray for people, they're healed. And let me say something about healing. Healing, a lot of people don't understand that Jesus, many were healed as they went. Healing, when you get prayer, you believe, and as people go home, they start improving. You understand? You know, sometimes people are waiting. A miracle is where you're sitting there watching, like, a, a finger grow out that wasn't there. That's a miracle. I remember one time when, when Basil came, and um, you guys remember this, and there was, he said, I really feel God's wanting to heal people's backs. And uh, I remember Sandy, man, she, she had, like, a scoliosis or something. But she had her hand, she was up against a wall like this, and her hands were not aligned, and Basil prayed, and her back just straightened up right there, and strays an arrow, or her hands lined up. That's a miracle. That's the gift of working of miracles, okay? But the gift of healing, you pray for people, they go home, they start getting better over the next couple of days and weeks. It's healing. There's a difference. All right. And we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to move quick now. Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think people need to reread self-control sometimes, okay? Against such things there is no law, talking about the Torah. It was not under the law of Moses that you had to have these. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and we live by the Spirit. Let us walk by the Spirit, and let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another, but we're living by the Spirit. We're crucified with Christ, but it's not us alive any longer, Christ living through us, but how does that happen by the Spirit of God? We're walking in the Spirit, by the Spirit. Let me tell you something. When you're filled with the Spirit, and we should be daily, when you spend time with the Lord and you're filled with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit gives you the grace to be a praiser in the most difficult situations. Because one of the things that Israel did through the wilderness in 1 Corinthians 10, they kept grumbling and complaining, and God got tired of it. You know what? They ended up wandering in circles in a wilderness because they grumbled and complained. Paul was trying to say, learn from their mistakes. And Paul wrote, when in prison, in the book of Philippians, he's talking about rejoicing and praising in all things. How many knows we should really take to heart this scripture? I mean, Paul wrote this while in prison. He said, you need to learn to rejoice and give thanks in all things. But see, the devil wants people grumbling and complaining and being negative because he knows that they're going to live in a circle in a wilderness the rest of their life until they learn to be a praiser. And to praise God in the most difficult of times. And the only way that we can be a praiser is by the Holy Spirit empowering us. Because sometimes you're going through difficult times. You remember Paul and Silas in prison? What happened? Did they sit around grumbling and complaining and whining? No. They began to sing praises unto God. And what happened? The place began to shake with an earthquake. The chains fell off and God delivered them out of prison. And not only that, the jailer and his family accepted Christ. Praise will get you out of difficulties and move you toward your destiny. The Holy Spirit will give you the grace to have joy even through trials. The Holy Spirit will give you the grace to love even the most unlovable. The Holy Spirit will give you the grace to forgive people that you never thought you could forgive. The Holy Spirit will give you the grace to live righteously or you've had weaknesses and struggles, the Spirit of God will empower you to overcome those things. And the Holy Spirit will give you grace 
to have faith and live by faith. And let me close with these last couple of things. But how many know something about there is important? We need the Spirit of God to help us to be overcomers. That we can be praisers. We can be full of joy. And we can walk in victory through difficulties. And let me say about tongues, Romans eight twenty six. In the same way the Holy Spirit helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's what's going on. Whenever you hear the intercessors and there's groaning and there's travailing. The Apostle Paul said, I'm again in the pains of childbirth till Christ be formed in you. When Elijah prayed, he had his head between his knees. There's a groaning and a travailing of intercession. But see, we don't know how to pray a lot of times. But the Holy Spirit will pray through us. These intercessors that are praying and they're groaning and travailing, it's too deep for words. Exactly what the Bible says. It's too deep for words. It's deep calling unto deep. It's the the Spirit of God within their spirit calling out to the deep of God. Deep unto deep. There's a deep cry, a groan for God to come move in power, to save souls, sin revival. It's that type of praying that Elijah began to understand as he put his head between his knees and was praying until that drought broke and rain came. It's that type of deep calling unto deep prayers that will cause cloudless skies all of a sudden to start producing rain. But the Holy Spirit, we don't know how to pray all the time. A lot of times we're saying, Lord, I don't know what to pray or what to do. But you know what? When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit and God gives you a prayer language, you can say, Holy Spirit, I yield myself to you. Come pray through me in the Spirit. And as you pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit will pray through you the perfect will of God because He knows exactly how to pray. Jude one twenty. but you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. When you pray in the Spirit every day and you pray for a time in the Spirit of God, maybe driving back and forth to work in your prayer time, as you pray in the Spirit, you've got to understand that your inner man is being built up. Your faith, heart faith by the Holy Ghost is being built up within you. And I love this scripture in Ephesians 6, 18. This is interesting. A lot of people have never thought about this, but, you know, Paul gives us in the scriptures here the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness. We know all the armor, right? And then he says, he's talking about the armor. And then he says this, with all prayer and petition or supplication, Pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on your alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Paul, if you'll read that in context, he was talking about the armor of God and he was talking about spiritual warfare. We don't wrestle against principalities and power. I mean, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. He gave us the armor. Then he says, pray in the Spirit on all, all occasions. Did everybody catch that? This has to do with victory and warfare. This has to do with conquering. It has to do with you being strong in the Lord. It has to do with praying the perfect will of God. It has so much to do with victory and warfare that we are people that are praying in the Spirit. I don't want to ask us for a show of hands, but how many people have been praying in the Spirit on your own at home? Listen, we need to get back to the basics. Okay, I try to have time every day where I'm praying in the Spirit. That's where a lot of revelation will come is as you pray in the Spirit. Now let me show you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, if you want to do a study on tongues, that's a good chapter. It says you utter mysteries. So in other words, the Holy Spirit prays through you revelation, knowledge, mysteries that you did not know before, but now the Spirit of God is praying this through you in tongues, and it's revealed unto you. I really believe a lot of the sermons and things I get come from my time of praying in the Spirit. We know that you pray the perfect will of God. 1 Corinthians 14, 4 says that you, he who prays in an unknown tongue edifies himself. There's some kind of a self-edification. There's some kind of a building up of your most holy faith. There's a strengthening of the inner man that is taking place. I believe strength for the battle. And also, a lot of people say, well, we need to get away from all this tongue stuff. Well, I beg to differ because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 22 that tongues is a sign for the unbeliever 
And it was the tongues that broke out on Acts chapter 2 when 3,000 people gave their lives to, to Christ right there because they saw tongues. But yet some think, well, you know, we're smarter than God. We're, um, <laughs> we're smarter than this old archaic Bible and this old way of doing things. I don't think so. And the last thing I would say is faith draws on the anointing of the Lord. That's what I was saying earlier, you know, on the altar. Listen, people that learn how to grab things by faith. See, the, the Holy Spirit is moving. And the presence of God, there's a glory, there's an anointing. As the Holy Spirit of God is moving in the altar time. And as people are praying, as the pastor is praying for people. There's an anointing. There's gifts that are in operation. As we learn to grab hold of it by faith, Lord, I believe I receive right now what you have for me. And it pours into you what you need from God. It's important because faith draws on the anointing of the Lord. And when you pray for people, you can always tell because those that are expecting as apart from those that are not, that there's a difference. There just always will be. And let me say this too. There's an importance about agreement. Brother Zach was talking to me about this in the last elders meeting. He was saying, you know, he likes to, to help go behind me and catch and agree with me because he actively is agreeing with me. And it, I can tell because when two agree on earth, it, listen, the Bible says one will put a thousand, two, ten thousand. The prayers of the righteous is powerful, but Jesus said when two agree, whatever they ask will be done. So there's a power in agreement. And so I wonder sometimes in the altar ministry, as we're praying for people, I wonder if people were more engaged and they were in more of an agreement about what's going on. As they see somebody else getting prayer, Lord, I'm in agreement, move, empower, touch them, Lord. And they were more locked into what the Holy Spirit's doing rather than maybe checking their phone or talking to somebody beside them or just, you know, daydreaming. If there was more of an engaged activity. But there's a power in agreement. And as we learn to humble ourselves like children, faith, is, is such a humility and childlike. See, pride has a voice about human reasoning. Pride is you're trying to figure it out in your head. Hello? Faith says, I'm never really going to fully understand God, and I'm okay with that. I'm just going to be like a child and receive what you want to do, Lord. I believe I receive it. Pour it in my life. And when you get prayer, there's an expectancy. I believe I receive it. I learned this many years ago. And whenever I get prayer from people, I don't go by what I feel. And I don't go by some outward manifestation. There's times that people prayed for me that I was thrown across the room. There's other times that I didn't, I didn't fall. I didn't shake. I mean, I'll give you one, one quick story. You see, people base it on too many wrong things. Now, how many of you guys would agree that Reinhard Bonnke is an anointed individual? Okay. He was in a smaller meeting where I was at, and he was going to pray for impartation. And I go down, and I said, Lord, I believe I receive it as soon as he prays for me. And he goes through the way Reinhardt prays for people. He was going through like this, just putting his hand on people's heads, coming through. Here he goes, you know. And so pretty soon, his hand's on my head. He goes off to the next guy. And um, I just, I believe I receive by faith now. It's mine right now in Jesus' name. And I walked out. I didn't, I didn't really feel, I didn't fall, didn't shake, didn't really feel anything. But I believed. And I know that I received, trust me. And this is a hilarious story because, you know, I went to the, the restaurant. I noticed all of a sudden my body's starting to shake, you know. And by the time I got to my car, I, my body was so trembling. I was thinking, man, I want to calm down so I can drive home, you know. But I definitely received something. But, but you have to receive it by faith. You're not going to always feel something, you know. And people think, well, you know, this person fell over here. They must really be getting from God. And then you don't. You're thinking, I guess I didn't. There's no faith in that. Zero. That person may have fallen and get up a heathen. I've seen it. I've seen people, man, they get really touched by God and it was real, but yet they're in total sin today. You know, people can have an encounter with Christ and then go out and, you know. No, 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 you receive by faith. It doesn't matter if I feel something. I believe I receive it, Lord. I grab hold of it. Thank you. I receive it now in Jesus' name. And you go out that way. 
But as you keep meditating on God's word, years ago I gave out a sheet that had prayers because I knew this day was coming. I knew that we would come to a time in River of Life when it would be the crossing over where revival was at hand, and this is where we're at. And, and there was going to be major breakthroughs start happening. And, and I knew that I had to prepare people. And so I gave them this sheet, and I told them, you need to be meditating on this every day. Pray these scriptures. And some people had the wisdom to do it. And I know my wife and daughter did. And, man, there is a faith in them now from the scriptures they meditate. But as you meditate on God's word, it goes from just being in your intellectual realm. The word of God sinks down into your spirit. And now you have heart faith. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Just mentally agreeing with something is not faith. That's in the realm of human reasoning. And many times human reasoning will cause problems for people. Abraham's like, well, you know, I'm getting pretty old and Sarah's getting pretty old and Sarah thinks I just need to take Hagar and have a child through her. Faith, faith is not human reasoning. Human reasoning will create problems. If Abraham would have just stayed in faith, there wouldn't have been the conflict down the road that came from Ishmael and Isaac. So anyway, as you meditate on God's word in your mind and chew on it, you meditate on it, it gets down into your spirit, and that's where you have true heart faith. It's out of your heart. And then out of heart faith, your mouth will speak the word of God, but now it's spoken in true heart faith you see the difference it's not just saying a scripture but you really believe it from your heart i hope this is sinking in tonight that's why romans 10 10 says for it is with the heart that man believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation and the word salvation there is strong's 4991 soteria and it means saved healed and delivered So it is from your heart that you believe God's word and you speak out his word out of your mouth with faith unto salvation, unto salvation, healing, and deliverance. In other words, you've got to get it beyond just your head and get it in your heart. Get it down in you. Get the word of God down in you. You get it in you by meditating on it. If you need some, some scriptures to meditate on, look up some scriptures and begin to think on them every day. Begin to pray them every day. When I gave this out, I, I gave uh, scriptures that have to do with healing and have to do with righteousness and have to do with deliverance and what Jesus did on the cross. And as people meditated on that every day, it got down in their spirit. And now there's a heart faith to believe God. And from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's when you start really seeing things change. It's when it comes out of your heart, not just your head. But that is by the Holy Spirit that this takes place. The Spirit of God will help us. Let's begin to to really press into God and lay hold of things by faith. God is beginning to move. He's beginning to clear things away. Listen, I'm going to go ahead and close this out with prayer, but I want to say something, but I want to go ahead and shut down recordings after we pray. But Lord... Everybody's agreeing with me. Seal this tonight. People that hear this that are out there, Lord, let this word get in them and seal it by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, let this go forth and bear fruit and confirm your word. We thank you for it now in the mighty name of Jesus. So we can go ahead and shut down recordings, but I want you all to hear me. God is binding up the strong men. I'm just telling you. There's been strong men in this region. I hope you hear me.